Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. Acts chapter 9, we're going to be reading from verses 1 through 9, and then we're going to skip down to verses 17 through 20. And when you're there, say amen. Oh, you guys sound low. When you're there, shout amen. All right, and it reads this. Now Saul was still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he may find any men or women who belong to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled... And was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him, falling to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Verse 5, he says, who are you, Lord? Saul said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Verse 7. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. He could see nothing. He could see nothing. Hmm. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat nor drink. Let's go to verse 17. And it says, Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hand on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me to you so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. What a divine reorientation, right? At once, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus from some time, and immediately, somebody say immediately, he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue, saying that he is the son of God. Hmm. Immediately, this guy who was once a persecutor, a murderer, someone who took, who went out looking for Christians, the Bible tells us that after his encounter with God, immediately he went to preach Jesus in the synagogues. I want to spend some time preaching and talking to you all about God divinely disorienting us. Uh, I want to talk about divine or disorientation, embracing God's plan to reorient your life, embracing God's plan to reorient your life. I'm going to say that one more time. I want to talk about divine disorientation for us to embrace God's plan to reorient our lives. Father, in these few moments, I pray that you would 
speak through me. Let it not be my words that speak, but let it be your word and your spirit that speaks through me. And we ask this and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I want you guys to look at somebody and tell them God still has a plan for you. Look at the person next to you and tell them God still has a plan for you. Do you remember the time when you were disoriented by God? Come on, I want you to go back, look back. Maybe you're in the season right now where you feel like you are being disoriented by God. But if you can reflect back at the time when you first encountered God, just go back down memory lane for a second. I still remember mine when, like it was just yesterday. I still remember it when I first encountered Jesus. It felt like a divine disorientation. I was deeply committed to living this life. I was about that life. I don't know if y'all know what I mean by that, but I'll tell you what that means. What I mean when I say I was about their life, I was about what I saw in my neighborhood. I was about what I saw growing up. I'm talking about people selling drugs, people selling dope. I saw gang violence. I wanted to be someone that sells dope. I wanted to be someone that would rap like Lil Wayne. Does anybody know who Lil Wayne is? He's one of the greatest rappers alive, by the way. And he's still my favorite rapper. God's still working on me. You can still see that. But I love me some little Wayne. I, I aspire to be like that. I was committed to seriously committing to the, the street life, living like what I saw in my neighborhood. I, I come from the ghetto, y'all. I, I come from the hood, and I love the hood. I still be in the hood, and I still talk to some of my friends that are in the hood. And, and, and I aspire to be like that because it was something that I saw people having a lot of money, and it looked like they were having fun. I'm talking about people that had big 24-inch rims on there in Chevy Impala. Some of them had some really nice clothes and really nice shoes. I was deeply committed to being what I saw in my environment until I was disoriented. Mm. I won't get into the details of what that looked like or what transpired when I was disoriented, but because I We'll be here for a very long time if I do that. But I'll tell you this. It was so disrupting. It was so disorienting that when God reoriented me, it changed the trajectory of my life. I was trying to be like the drug dealers that sold drugs. That I was trying to be like people that sold drugs next door to my apartment. And when I experienced or encountered Jesus, there was something that happened that changed who I was trying to become. I was trying to become like people that I saw on TV. I'm talking about those rappers that I saw on those music videos. But when I encountered Jesus, he influenced me to be more like him. No wonder the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 to be imitators of Christ. If you're trying to be like Jesus, you know you've been divinely reoriented because Jesus called us to be like him. Somebody look at the person next to you and say, be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. Come on, look at somebody next to you and tell them, be like Jesus. This is a commandment from God. This is not what, what, what pastors tell you to do. No, the Bible literally tells us to be imitators of God. And I knew something happened in my life when I was trying to be like Jesus because there was nothing in my heart that desired to be like church. My parents used to drag me to church.
church. They used to tell me to go to church and read the Bible, go to youth group. I was like, man, I'm just going over there to connect with my friends. But until I encountered Jesus, there was something that shifted in me. All of a sudden, I desired church. I desired a gospel community. I desired to be discipled. I desired to disciple other people. I desired to see people come to Jesus. This is what happened when you experience a divine disorientation. Something happens where you are influenced by God in a way that makes you look much more different than what you used to be. A divine disorientation has a way of disrupting your current life, transforming you to what God desires. Whenever God is disorienting you, he is reorienting you. What I experienced was indeed a divine disorientation. Hmm. God was disorienting me and reorienting me and renovating me and transforming me at the same time. Can I preach real quick? Can I ask you guys a question? Where in your life where you need a divine disorientation? Where in your life where you need to be dis divinely disrupted? Could it be that the reason you feel stuck in life is the fact that you haven't been reoriented in God? You got to be honest for, for, for a second. This is you and God at this moment. Because to be reoriented by God is to allow God to influence you in such a way where you're submitted to his plan for your life. Which leads me to my point. This is my main point. God is a God who reorients us. And if God is reorienting you, it is to align you into his plan and his purpose for your life. If there's anything that I want you to walk away with today is the fact that God reorients us to realign us into his plan, his purpose, and his will concerning your life. I'm sorry if I'm getting loud. It's because I'm very passionate about the word of God. But I, th I feel like you guys are loving it so far. But here's the thing. In order for you to be reoriented, you need to be disoriented. And perhaps there are those of us who are watching me today. Maybe you're watching online that need to be disoriented, just like Saul in this text. Saul in Acts chapter 9 is disoriented by God, divinely disoriented by God. Saul is divinely disoriented on his way to persecute Christians. We just read it. He is breathing and still doing what he was doing in Acts chapter 8. After the killing of Stephen, this guy is still on his way to persecute and kill more Christians. Saul, who is a persecutor of the church, he goes from house to house. Literally, his main goal and his main mission is to search out for Christians, dragging both men and women off to prison. He is on a hostile mission. A mission of hatred against followers of Jesus. And on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, I'm in the text, he is disrupted and disoriented by Jesus himself. This is after he gets permission from chief priests to go into a region to persecute Christians. And as he's heading there, the Bible tells us that he is disrupted by Jesus, verse 3, I'm going to read it verbatim. As he traveled and he was, as he traveled and nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. 
Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? This is what Saul replies. And Jesus replies, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Hmm. You know what I like about this text, what I was just reading, and just, just a quick pause. When Jesus disorients Saul, he didn't disorient him to punish him. But he disoriented him to change the trajectory of his life. We serve a God who ain't so quick to punish us, even though we're so deserving of his punishment. He's a patient God and a loving God. And aren't you thankful that God met you on your way to sin? And besides him punishing you because of the sins that you and I commit, he loves you. And he displays his love and comfort and grace towards you thank God for his unconditional love that even though we are deserving of his punishment his grace and mercy abounds much more Jesus disorients Saul and changes the trajectory of his life how do I know this because if you keep reading the book of Acts what we see is that Saul becomes a persecutor of the church he is one but then later on becomes a preacher of the gospel we don't have time to go into the whole text of Acts chapter the book of Acts but what I like is that Saul is disoriented by Jesus. And you would think that Jesus, for a guy like Saul, he will pick this guy and choose this guy and straight murk him. What I mean by murk is murder him. What I mean by that is execute his judgment. I would do that. You killing Christians. You killing innocent people. Why don't God just disrupt this guy, disorient this guy to just kill him? He's killing other people. But nah, we serve a God that literally disrupts him, stops him on his track to love on him and to share with him who he's about to become. Saul is killing Christians. He's against the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet God chooses Saul. God chooses Saul. Look at the person next to you and say, God chooses Saul. God chooses a persecutor of the church. Sit in that. God chooses someone who kills Christians. There are people that would have counted him out. Easy. There are people who would be able to look past his past because of what he's known for. He's known for putting people in pr prison for preaching Jesus. There are people who wouldn't agree with God's selection of this chosen vessel. People who wouldn't agree that this guy should be preaching the gospel. People who wouldn't even think that Saul is qualified. Yet, God doesn't call those who are qualified. He qualifies those who are called. Many of you heard that before. If there's anything we learn about God, especially if you read throughout the Bible, is that God chooses people based on who, what he thinks, not what we think. He chooses people according to his plan and his purpose. Remember the story of David? Anybody remember the story of David? The little shepherd boy. God tells a prophet named Samuel to go to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king of Israel. Y'all remember that story? Yeah, Samuel gets to, the, to Jesse's house and sees one of the sons. And Samuel, who is the prophet, he wrongly selects one of the sons that he thinks that he should anoint to be king over Israel. 
And look what the Lord says to Samuel in verse 7, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. He says, do not look at his appearance or his height or his stature because I have rejected him. For God does not see as man sees. Since man looks at the outward appearance, God, the Lord, looks at the heart. Samuel got it wrong. And it goes to show you that God doesn't choose the way we choose. God doesn't pick people the way we pick people. God doesn't see the way we see. When God anoints people, he anoints people who are least likely. God chooses the least people, the, the people that we least expect. It's, it's expected for, it's not expected for David to be ex, uh, selected by God. People would have said that David is too young. Uh, he's just a little shepherd boy. Uh, but God sees the king in the little shepherd boy. Can I minister to somebody really quick God sees the purpose behind your pain God has a way of seeing things beyond what you see God can see the beauty out of your distress God can see the trap the treasure in the trash maybe people can see the trash in your life but God sees the treasure in your life he sees the things that we least expect God chooses people we least expect he takes a former addict and calls them into ministry he takes a person who were once a stutterer people who stutter and he calls them into preaching he can take a stripper and call them into worship leading he'll take anybody he chooses why because God is a God who chooses the least likely and we see in this text that Saul is chosen by God to preach the gospel don't count people out because of their past because God has a way of using somebody's past to shape your future don't discredit people because of what they have done because God has a way of using somebody's mistakes to heal you I've, I've seen it in my life. God can use anybody he wants, and there's nothing any of us can do about it. Somebody shout, nothing. There's nothing that any of us can do about God choosing people. He chooses a Saul. Saul is now reoriented into what God has called him to do. How do I know this? Acts chapter 9 verse 6 tells us, God tells him to go into the city. So that he would find out what he must do. And later in that text, the Lord sends a man named Ananias to Saul to minister to Saul. And it was there that Saul discovers what he must do. Saul now embraces God's reorientation. Submitting himself to God's plan for his life. Which, which is him stopping his tracks. Stopping from doing what he was doing. Stopping the persecuting of Christians into preaching Jesus Saul submits to God's plan for his life. Saul submits to God's plan to reorient him and discovers what God has called him to do. And God shows him his plan concerning his life. Saul was on a mission to persecute Christians. But as God, but, but, but we see God reorients him and he drops his mission for God's mission. When God reorients you, he will lead you to drop your mission for his mission. Y'all heard earlier in my tech, when I was hearing my story, I had a mission, y'all. I was trying to be a rapper, and I was making music for the devil real good, too. <laughs> I, I, was, I was in the studio 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning at a young age, teenager, and I was really committed to that life. And I, countered, and I encountered God, and I had to drop my mission for God's mission. 
all of a sudden people were telling me, you're going to preach. And I'm looking at them like, you sure I'm going to preach? You you crazy. I'm not going to be no preacher. But I had to learn to submit myself to God's plan, one of God's plans for my life. When you, when, when you least expect it, God can call you to some very special task. And it may require for you to drop your mission for God's mission. I want you to reflect right now. What is it that you need to drop for God? Mm, sit in that. What is it right now in your life that you, make it personal, that you need to drop for God? Maybe there's somebody here, maybe it's somebody that's watching online. You're trying to climb up this corporate ladder. But I want to ask you, and I want you to ask yourself, how does that align with God's mission for your life? Maybe there's somebody here who wants to become a multi, 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 multi-millionaire. But I want to ask you this question. And I think you should ask this to yourself as well. How does this align with God's plan for your life? Because if we're going to experience God's reorientation, it must lead to his plan, his will, and his purpose concerning you. That's, this, that's what my, my text is all about. That's what this sermon is all about, embracing God's plan. You know you are embracing God's plan when you step out in faith to drop your mission for God's mission. I know people are struggling with this. Okay, pray that the Lord will lead you to let it go and to drop, submit it to him. Saul was on a mission, a mission to persecute Christians. But after his encounter with Jesus, you literally see in the text, he drops his mission on the way to Damascus. And he was reintroduced to a God mission. Somebody shout God mission. He submitted himself to God's mission for his life. How many of you are willing to drop your mission for God's mission? How many of you are willing to drop your plan for your life, for God's plan for your life. Hmm. Which leads me to ask you, and I'm closing. Where in your life where you need a divine reorientation? Because the reality is, is that God really wants to reorient us. God desires to reorient us. This is what God is about. Our problem is, is that we don't embrace God's plan to reorient us. That's our problem. We, we have this natural proclivity, and it's because of the sin in our heart, to do what we want. I, I wanted to become a psychologist one day. Real story, true story. That's why I went to school for psychology, counseling psychology. I thought I was going to be on a route to help people and to help them discuss matters of the heart, help them to find healing. That was my plan. And then later on, I thought I, I would become a professor and teach at some university to, to teach psychology. I had many different plans that I wanted. Rapper, encounter God, psychology, encounter God, preacher, encounter God. This thing that just kept getting in the way of God's plan. And there are times in our lives, make it personal, where we think... We know what's best for our life. 
But if that's true, if you and I know what's best for our life, then why is it that the thing that you plan for your life, why aren't you there right now? Be real. Be honest, guys. There's some things, there's some people here, you had, you had things all planned out. But you're not where you desire to be. But this is why we need to experience what I would call a divine reorientation. Allowing God to align you into what he desires. God's plan for our lives is for us to embrace his plan for our lives. We read this in Jeremiah 30. We, everybody read this verse before. For I know the plans that I have for you. So on and so forth. We've heard that verse. But how will you know that plan if you don't embrace his plan? There is no way you can do that. There are those of us who have a hard time committing to God's plan because we have a hard time believing that God's plan is what's best for us. Or we don't embrace God's plan because we are committed to what America says we should do. Y'all know the America dream, American dream. You know, some of us were told, you know, go to school, get a nice degree, get into a really good job, buy a nice house, etc., so on and so forth. <clears throat> the question you got to ask yourself is, how does that inform or realign you to what God desires? Maybe there are those of us who are pursuing things that will make us happy. You're committed to pursuing what I would call society's definition of success. But what does success look like for you? What does success in Christ look like for you? In John chapter 10, verse 10, I'm literally closing. Jesus said, the thief came to steal, kill, and to destroy. But I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Mm. A life of abundance is only found in Christ. I repeat, if you're looking for an abundant life or abundant living, abundance in this text, in the Greek, it literally means to, have, to be blessed. If you're looking to have a blessed life, you can only find that in Christ. Everything else outside of Jesus is pseudo and it's not real and it will not fulfill your longing. It will not truly satisfy you. A life of abundance is a life devoted to God, a blessed life for those who put their trust in God. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.